This is the Horror Stories, Beautiful People Podcast. Welcome, you beautiful person. I'm Robert Crandall, and I'm grateful that you're here. I want to thank Andy for buying me five coffees. This makes about the third time. Yes, thank you so much, Andy. Uh, you have been so, so generous. And I uh, really, really appreciate it. Hey, Robert, this is Mac the Knife from the uh, Limb Removal Department of the Cadavers Extension at the morgue. <laughs> Mac the Knife? Wasn't that a song a while back? Well, anyway. Yeah, I, I use it because of the work that I do with cadavers, you know. Oh, oh, sure, right, right. Well, I just wanted to thank Andy for those coffees, and thank you for sharing one with me. It was really good. Well, that's great. I'm sure Andy appreciates your thoughts. Well, it was sure nice of him. Thank you again, Andy, and, well, I better get back to work. We've got a lot of work to do down there in cadavers. Yeah, I'm sure you do, and, uh, okay, thanks for stopping by. Have a good day, down cadavers. <laughs> okay, yeah, Andy, thank you so much. Uh, we really appreciate uh, your your generosity, and if you'd like to buy me a coffee, just go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash Robert Crandall, and uh, you're all set. You can also visit our website, horrorstoriespodcast.com, and there's a buy me a coffee button there. There's also another one uh, that says donate, that goes through PayPal, so either way, you can uh, help support the show, and we really, really appreciate it. Thank, thank you again, Andy. Now for our feature story, this time by a living author named Eric J. Gennard. Eric J. Gennard is a writer and anthologist of dark and speculative fiction operating from the shadowy outskirts of Los Angeles. He's twice won the Bram Stoker Award, won the Shirley Jackson Award, and been a finalist for the World Fantasy Award and International Thriller Writers Award. So he comes with some good credentials. His latest books are his novella, Last Case at a Baggage Auction, novel Doorways to the Dead Eye, and a short story collection, That Which Grows Wild. You can visit him at his website, www.ericjgennard.com, and on Twitter, at Eric J. Gennard. The last name is spelled uh, G-U-I-G-N-A-R-D. Now, our feature story is a story of murder and haunted dirt. You'll never think of a cemetery the same way ever again. Let's listen now to Free Dirt by Eric J. Gennard. In homage and with tremendous appreciation 
to three of the greats and their own tales of free dirt. Ray Bradbury, Charles Beaumont, and William F. Nolan. The funeral was bleak, dismal, common, an affair of nearly three hours exhibiting pomp so banal and plodding. It seemed not unlike the pace of earthworms crawling tediously and inexorably toward the very foodstuff the group of mourners was there to celebrate. Walt Jameson sighed, twiddled at the wedding ring he wore for obligation rather than any affection. It was the same reason he was there in attendance, appearance, and expectation. The deceased, old man Robbins, had been a neighbor some lots down, just near enough to give a wave and salutation, but not so much as to pull up in his driveway and converse about last night's Bengals or Reds game or the skyrocketing price of wheat or how the weather was holding up. They'd also been seen in congregation together, several pews away, but enough so that a sort of duty necessitated Jameson's graveside attendance, religious brotherhood and all, an obligation one might deem to keep his Baptist membership in good standing. Appearance was everything in Parkersburg. The nasally pastor laid waste to the afternoon with vociferous exaltations on virtues of grace and faith, and moral decency. There was scripture involved, and many hymns and palaverous epitaphs. Jameson stifled a yawn. The pastor launched into certain requisite idioms. Charlie Robbins was ever the humble optimist, for when life gave him lemons, he surely made lemonade, which was followed by general murmured assent from the enwrapped gray-haired flock. Boulderdash and rigmarole, just words for what was the silver lining to one's own death, Jameson wondered, unless there was such proverbial heaven and glory and bliss in the hereafter, to which Jameson rejected entirely. Death was the great nothing, no silver lining to that. At some point thereafter, the service concluded and the mourners released to shuffle home or to assail the serving table of crackers, cheeses, and, ironically, lemonade. On his way out, on the cemetery notice board, Jameson saw a large wood placard declaring free dirt. Having an extra quarter acre on his back lot of ugly, barren terrain, Jameson had mused about turning it into some sort of garden or orchard, but the logistics of it, not to mention his own collective inexperience and ignorance, had confounded him. But free dirt, this was surely providential to his dreamt enterprise. He wasn't so vulgar as to take the dirt there and then but he did discreetly inquire about it to the caretaker and made arrangements to return another time. Such was the lemonade, or silver lining, made of that day's waste. Jameson decided, when life turns to death, take the free dirt.
he chuckled to himself. The time to return occurred merely two hours later of the very same day, after the last mourner had made their grief-stricken exit. Yet, before someone else might come along and hoard all that free dirt for themselves. The caretaker corrected Jameson on that point. We don't ever run out of dirt. Indeed. You think people stop dying? I see your point. The caretaker seemed a remarkably personable and assiduous young man for such an occupation, whereas other caretakers might be thought to appear grim and cantankerous old codgers or red-eyed alcoholics. Present company had a light touch smile, well-groomed hair, and with just a single lock cascading over his forehead, and possessed by garrulous chatter. His name was Ward. We're a large graveyard, Ward said. Busy, and every casket and coffin we put in displaces the earth. If the grave is for only one person, we go about four feet deep. More commonly, though, graves are dug for two stacked interments, which goes around six or seven feet. Now, a family plot, you're looking at graves for four people, and that'll take you down twelve. Box for deceased is six or seven feet long, twenty inches tall. At minimum, you're talking thirty-five cubic feet of earth being removed with each burial. Quite edifying. Jameson admitted. Anything you want to know about burials, you come to me. Jameson nodded his acknowledgement to the proposal while privately concluding that particular moment would not be arriving. I'll just be using the dirt for gardening, thinking about some produce, grains, maybe a couple apple trees. You wouldn't know much about that, would you? Would I? Ward said jubilantly. Friend, Graveyard soil is the best dirt you can use for such an endeavor. It's a healthy, loam, porous, lots of nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, everything you'd want in a good mix, plus organic matter leads to fertility. So you add in bacteria, fungi, protozoa, earthworms, too. Everyone knows decomposed residue is vital for a fruitful harvest. You are incredibly informative. Jameson praised, and I'll take all the free dirt you've got, something for nothing. It's the best kind of deal. Happy to oblige, friend, Ward replied. Of course, there is one thing. Jameson sighed. Here certainly was the catch, where he'd be obligated to pay some auxiliary tax or donate to a caretaker's fund or some other constraint that would annul the free modifier of such dirt. Ward's smile stiffened. You gotta take whatever comes with it. Such as? Anything. Examples? Look around. You've turned suddenly taciturn, Jameson accused. Ward gave a short laugh and the sound vibed equal parts humor and sorrow. Jameson's enthusiasm waned. Friend, I could stand here all day recounting anecdotes, but it'd be a moot point, as what comes with this dirt is different for everyone. Maybe it's a piece of bone. Maybe it's a distant cry. 
Maybe it's a wayward caress on your cheek in the middle of the night. Truth is, there's something else about the dirt here that it never seems to run low. We're busy all right, but I truck it out myself to the landfills each month. And well, that dirt just seems never to deplete. There's stories about this cemetery, old superstitions that go back. Modern site where we're standing on, it was built on top of older burying grounds. Pioneer people from centuries ago. And there were native folk before that. Tribes that came and went, but always used this area to settle their own dead. And I heard longer ago than that, it's where wildcats would come to die. Boars and wolves, too. Some places it just seems a natural field for dying. And this here's one of them. At this, Jameson felt considerably unnerved but not so as to negate his desire for a blooming backyard. His eyebrows raised meaningfully. So, a ghost? Perhaps. One brow cocked. A caprice, then? Hardly. He relaxed. I'll take my chances. Along with that, I'll take that dirt. The caretaker nodded, and Jameson loaded up his truck and went on his way. Jameson unloaded the dirt into his barren backyard, and even returned to the cemetery for a second and third load. The soil was dark, soft, and crumbly, better than anything hoped to be purchased through an expensive fertilizing business. It seemed perfect for his ambition to transform the fallow ground into something beautiful and productive, like the free dirt itself to create something out of nothing, to plant and tend and harvest, to boast or at least satisfy himself in the eyes of community busybodies. For Parkersburg was the sort of town where deficiencies in one's doings were widely noted, where a passerby might knock on your door to urgently whisper that he knew a neighborhood child who could be hired to pull that unsightly weed poking up on the front stoop, or where citizenry might gather at a diner's booth late at night and discuss what should be done about a certain someone's curbside mailbox. The paint has begun to fade so that it can't be imagined how the mail carrier could possibly identify the number of its address. Over the past year, the singular weed and the faded mailbox had progressed then to conference and increasing vigilance over the barren quarter-acre in Jameson's backyard. Such a waste, they said. A shame, an eyesore. He imagined the clucking of tongues and shaking of heads involved. His decamped wife would even have been dragged into the sordid gossip. Ever since Mrs. Jameson ran off, the property really turned to blue ruin. But now Jameson had purpose. Dirt. He procured seeds and he sowed. Cabbage and cucumbers in one corner. White aster and buckeye in another. A row of pumpkins. One of peppers, corns, soybeans, and flowers, too. Really, Jameson had little inkling 
what would flourish best, so he figured a good shotgun approach to be optimal. His wife had kept the ground passable before, raked, watered, some decorative stones, but since her absence, it turned to a bad land of weeds and scorched earth. So in went the packets for daffodils and tulips and peonies and daylilies, sweet peas, poppies, and blue flag iris. Dump in everything and see what takes. The phone rang inside his house. Jameson went in to answer it. A nasally voice greeted him. I wanted to personally thank you for attending Mr. Robin's funeral. The pastor said, The spirit compels with great duty and compassion. Jameson replied, It was certainly a comfort to all who knew him, your presence and devotion at his service. Your charitable words uplift my soul. It was verily remarked upon, There stands Mr. Jameson, a man of integrity, earnest devotion. Thank you. Especially, well, first the loss of your wife, and then of your neighbor. It must be difficult. We each carry our burdens. Still, she left nearly a year ago, Pastor. A pause arrived, uncomfortable in its length and in its deepening solemnity. Finally, the pastor cleared his throat. There is another matter. Jameson's grip on the phone tightened. I hope it's favorable. Well, this is a bit awkward, but there's been talk the front shingle, the overhang above your porch. It's fallen off quite a while ago. Leaves a nasty-looking gap. And you know what they say. The first one falls off, and if left unattended, others will follow. Surely I merely overlooked it, but the matter will be rectified post-haste. With that, Jameson ended the call by way of polite salutation and hasty pretense of someone at his front door. It never ended. The prying glances, the hurried whispers, the meddling, and all made worse since his wife had gone. 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 That was the heart of the matter, the root and pretext, certainly, for ever greater scrutiny into his goings-on. All of Parkersburg knew she had left him, run off, supposedly, at mere vexation of his company, disappointment in their circumstances, perhaps, or better options offered on the horizon. She had been scandalous, certainly, dishonest, most probably. What the town didn't know was that she was dead and buried in the back dirt lot, deep, oh so very deep, that no rain or wind or burrowing beast should ever uncover her. Jameson had killed her, of course, but still he missed her, incredibly, unbelievably, without any precedent or warning or cause. His wife of 42 years had come to him one night with bags packed and announcing she was leaving him for old man Robbins. If Jameson had just been one year older, 
he was convinced he'd have had a heart attack that very moment, and the whole affair would have been moot. As it was, his heart broke, nonetheless, though more in the ways of shattered love and despair. But, but why? He stuttered. Charlie Robbins kisses me, and the whole world melts away. It's a sweet abandon, and then we dance, and his breath becomes mine. Your breath is of liverwurst. He's seventy years old. Sixty-nine, she replied with a wink. They'd argued then, and one unfortunate turn of events had led to another, and their remarks turned crueler. Things said meant to wound, dark threats bandied, and all the while Jameson's thoughts swirled. What would the neighbors think? How they would laugh at him, mock him, speak behind his back of a man his age getting stepped out on, and the seducer a man of even older years. The giggles of derision. And he'd have to see her, his soon-to-be ex-wife, and Robbins together. As he drove past their house, see them together in church, see them holding hands, see them looking into each other's eyes, dancing around every corner he turned, dancing together in the streets, in his dreams, dancing and kissing with nary a thought to him, but that he'd been a fool, a failure in some disastrous way. And then she was dead, strangled by his hand. He hadn't even realized he'd done it until some time after he lay there holding her hand, tears falling on her cooling cheeks. He buried her and her packed bags at midnight, under a waning moon so clouded as to be but a smear across the tapestry of the universe. He told the town a half-truth, that she'd left him, and Jameson was believed. His reputation held. Old Man Robbins, of course, was another matter, but his suspicions could not be proved. The whispers, though, all of the ordeal caused the town of Parkersburg, Ohio, to regard his every doing even more considerably. So Jameson had bit his time, and nine months later, while the last frost still iced the sidewalks of the town, he laid in wait when Robbins came outside for his morning paper. Jameson had struck him once with a baseball bat, and Robbins tumbled down the three steps of his stoop and hit his head and died. An accident, a terrible accident. The town had cried, the poor old man slipping and falling on the ice in such a way. And now here was Jameson brittling, worrying over every action, calculating his every word, brooding over comments made over potential innuendos, over wary, wayward glances. The exhaustion of the day sent him to bed early. Jameson woke from strange dreams of rustling stalks. He went to his bedside window, overlooking his backyard, and there, under a full moon, was the impossible. A jungle of growth rose to the sky, as inviolable as any fortress. Orchids the size of dinner plates swayed in a curious, rippling breeze. 
luxuriant geraniums overflowed each other in botanical waterfalls of red, white, and lavender waves. Goldenrod as bright and vibrant as molten gold dripped upon vines of sweet hydrangea. Biennials shimmered, swayed, moved, leaves narrowed, widened, multiplied, whispered, reached. They seemed to extend before his very eyes, reaching toward his window. And through it all weaved branches, stems, and blooms of peonies, of peas, of lilies, lilac, and lavender. Lavender, yes, and lavatera, and lotus, and sweet larkspur. The smells, even through the glass, they engulfed him. Aromal sparkles and flashes, like pricks and jabs, the runny meringue of honeysuckle, the heavy honey of buttonbush, fragrant frangipane of plumeria, and there, mulled wine of ginger and cinnamon, and then blazes of mint, dazzles of lemon, glints of peppered herbs, bursts of teas, of incense, upon memories, upon hopes, dreams, shames, lies. It was glowing terror with hints of apricot and peach. It was all too much, too sudden, overwhelming and dizzying. Jameson stepped back, then again and again, the olfactory assault, a physical thing, pushing like an invisible hand, pushing him further from the window. He stumbled, the calves of his legs striking the bed, and he sat back onto it in a daze. The sense took shape, things caressing him, velveteen touches of tulip petals, spider walking up his legs his arms, pulling him back into the botanic embrace. Before he found the strength to resist, he was laying prone on his own bed, each limb lashed to a corner post by twined roots. He'd been caught, trapped, like a fly in a pitcher plant. And then he saw his window opened, his bedroom door opened. How had it happened? Who had loosed the locks and latches? for two figures were there now, advancing upon him, two figures nearing, growing more visible from a miasma of haze, figures as if sculpted from hedgerows. Jameson shrieked. He knew without a doubt they were of his wife and old man Robbins, regrown in his garden from the haunted dirt. They reached him, and he thrashed wildly, waiting, expecting their torment. His heart thundered, and came their first touch, that of a pine tip, a skeletal twig, sliding in happenchance along his brow. But afterwards, it was as if Jameson did not exist, for his wife and Robbins climbed on top of him, on top of his bed more precisely, with Jameson inconveniently trapped between, in a rustle and spray of seed to lay prone upon each other, their bodies smooth as dew-struck petioles, and brought back memories of loss, of longing, and then Robbins and she began to move to sway back and forth, back and forth on top of him, among unfurling petals that were pink and throbbing and pungent 
a bud swelled, slick with perspiration, and Jameson cried out again, this time for them to stop. Stop, please. He begged, he moaned. Their weight, their rhythm, their heat. It was as if the garden outside grew upon him in the midst of summer broil. He was suffocating beneath, and there was no respite. He bucked and twisted, as much a part of the others bucking and twisting, though for intent of escape, which did not come. His wife and Robins rocked steadily without end, and all the while they were silent, but for the rustles of flora, the gust of pollination, the puffs of deflowering. Jameson's heart could take no more. It felt to burst through his ribs, and his cries grew fainter as the weight upon him increased. He gasped, he wheezed, tried one last time to move, but found he could barely turn even his head. He stared away in dimming sight to watch starlight streaming in through the window. Later, Walt Jameson was found in bed, face aghast, turned so as if trying to shield his sight from something monstrous and despicable. It was assumed, however, his death was due simply from the extraordinary and boundless exertion he'd spent most recently, especially for a man of his age, trucking in soil, laboriously tilling, spreading seed, and otherwise manifestly industrious in attempting to finally make use of that shameful waste of a back lot. Though unfortunately, as time would prove, his efforts were for naught, as nothing ever grew there, regardless of the rich soil laid and the fresh seed planted. Nothing ever grew there at all. And when Jameson was buried respectably in the city cemetery, only several plots away from Old Man Robbins, as it were, and his graveside service of nearly three hours, well attended, and the air filled with scripture and hymns and palaverous epithets, all upholding his moral character and virtuous heart, Jameson would have been surprised to find there really was a silver lining in his own death, and it was nothing like he would ever have expected. You've been listening to Free Dirt by Eric J. Gennard. I hope there are always stars in your sky, peace in your heart, and wisdom in your thoughts. I've enjoyed being with you, but now I must go I hope to be with you again soon. Please be well, and thank you for listening to me.